Welcome to another episode of the Carolyn Click Middle East News Hour. Um, we're joined today by a very special guest. He's very special first and foremost because he's a very dear friend of mine, but that's just from a personal perspective. Aside from that, um, Professor Avi Bell, who's joining us today, is uh, one of the leading, uh, not only in Israeli jurists about the domestic situation with Israel's legal system, but also international jurists. He has a joint appointment at the Bar Ilan University School of Law and at University of San Diego Law School. He's a fellow at numerous forums, including the Kohelet Forum and, uh, and the Tikva Fund. Um, he's, uh, and let me just show you him. Here we go. Hey, Avi, welcome to the program. I, I, I have to correct one thing. I, I don't have a fellowship from the Tikva Fund. I, I, I do uh, run some programs in cooperation with Tikva, but um, I want to be precise. Yes, because he's my... a law professor. This is That's this is the... one of the running things that we've we've been friends for over 20 years, Avi and yes. I, Professor Bell and I. And uh, and, um, and in fact, I knew I like before he was a doctor, right? <laughs> Before yeah, like he was a doctor, anyway. But uh, he, uh, but he's he always needs everything very precise, which is excellent when you're dealing with law, which is what we're going to be talking about here. So the first thing that we want to talk about is the domestic political legal situation uh, with our attorney general. Uh, Avi was one of the uh, attorneys who represented uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu at the pre-indictment hearing that. Attorney General Mandelblit uh, held for him. Um, and we want to talk about specifically uh, one thing that uh, Mandelblit said two weeks ago, but before we do that, uh, what what was that what was that hearing like? What was it about and what did it tell you sort of generally about uh, the legal uh, systems handling of, of Netanyahu and the indictments against him? So, uh, well, I, I'm gonna nitpick again. <laughs> What's that? Um, I was not there formally. I was not there formally as a representative of the prime minister. I was there as, as sort of as an amicus, that is a, um, um, an outsider who is bringing an expert opinion. Um, it's true that the, the reason I was there was the, the, uh, the rest of the legal team of, um, of the prime minister had asked me to come, but the, the, the one who invited me was Mandelblit. He was the only one who had the authority to do so. Now I can tell you what it was like. The, uh, um, it was a full room. Um, Wait, what was what is this idea of a pre-indictment hearing? I, I don't well, think that that's necessarily okay. a familiar concept. Okay, the the way the way um, it's supposed to work in Israel is, is this: if charges be are being brought against a public official, um, um, before the charge sheet can actually be filed in a court, the attorney general has to arrange for there to be a hearing. Um, in which um, there will be a fresh new question about whether it's a good idea, whether it's in the public interest to file criminal charges. Now, in this case, it was a little bit ridiculous because um, uh, half a year before this hearing, uh, the, the Attorney General Mandelblit had held a primetime press conference to announce that he was uh, intending to bring criminal charges against uh, uh, the prime minister, against Netanyahu. And the chances that he would turn around and say, you know what, I, I, I've been convinced that the entire legal theory on which I've based this uh, prosecution is faulty. There was never any such chance. Um, and when I got to uh, the hearing, it was, as I said, it was a full room. There were uh, uh, 30 or more lawyers from um, the Attorney General and the Justice uh, uh, Ministry and State Attorney's Office, and almost all all of them were silent during the entirety of it. Um, um, two or three of them cracked uh, uh, cynical remarks as it went on. But what I was told in advance was that um, it, it was pointless; that there was nobody who was going to be listening to the legal argument that I was making, and that turned out to be the case. And what was the legal um, argument that you were making? I, uh, I said, uh, uh, there's no such thing as a crime of giving a bribe of positive media coverage and inventing such a crime um, as Mandelblit has done for purposes of, uh, of the case against the prime minister is devastating to freedom of speech in this country. And it also uh, creates a, a risk of politicization of, of criminal prosecutions. 
And I think that we're seeing both effects now. That is, um, uh, there's a real threat to, to uh, uh, freedom of speech. You see journalists being dragged into court to explain why they would run this story or that story. And um, uh, you can see <laughs> in every, every minute that um, uh, the prosecution is charging people based on uh, politics rather than strictly legal uh, uh, considerations. You know, I mean, one of the, there were so many appalling aspects to this appeal, which was a quasi-judicial body, right? I mean, he's deciding whether or not he's going to indict the prime minister, and there may be just a political body in the sense that no, the minute no, it's, that you... it's, it's, it's legally required. And not only is it legally required, there's a legal standard. And the legal standard is he has to come, come in with an open heart and a willing spirit, right? Now, I, I don't understand how anybody can claim that um, they held a primetime press conference during the height of a political campaign to accuse somebody of being a criminal under this brand new crime that was just invented. And yet at the moment of the hearing, all of a sudden everything was wiped clean and there was a willing spirit. Especially now, when the chief prosecutor, Liat Ben-Arid, skipped the entire, skipped the entire uh uh, hearing and went on a safari in, in Africa with she her did, family. She just skipped half of it. She went to some of it. Uh, oh, she did? She, oh, yeah, okay. she, did, she did attend some of it. Oh, so uh, but, but apologies to Liad Benari. Yeah, there, there's one other bit that, uh, that's important to know, which is um, it's one of the, the legal requirements in order to bring criminal charges against a prime minister in Israel is that the attorney general personally has to approve the investigation. Um, now, um, that would mean that before this all began, right, before there, many years before the hearing, the attorney general had to already have been up to this, up to his neck in this. Now, I'll add that as it turns out, the attorney general didn't do this properly. That, that is, he never uh, signed a written authorization, which is against the law in Israel. And, um, um, Traditionally, uh, according to precedents, what that's meant is that uh, the indictment should have been thrown out by the court. Um, in this case, Netanyahu's uh, um, uh, lawyers uh, made a motion to throw out the indictment because there had never been any written authorization. And the court said, well, Mr. Attorney General, you misbehaved here. You broke the law. That was really terrible. Don't do it again, but we're gonna hear this case. You know, and I mean, that, that really, that really raises the question that so many people here uh, ask every single day, how is this even happening? That, and this really brings us to what I wanted to talk about, what Avichai Mandelblit said a couple of weeks ago, or was reported. He said it, I think, in November uh, at a conference that was held by Haaretz, which is Israel's furthest to the left newspaper, which is saying a lot because- Wait, 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 wait. wait. No, oh. no, 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 there's the no, no, you're, I, I think you're, you're, you're mixing up several different comments. Doit Banish, the former chief justice. No, 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 I'm not. No, 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 you're he wrong. Made, wait, no, no, no. Wait, wait, don't, don't interrupt me for a second. This okay. is my All show. Right, sorry. All right, sorry. <laughs> you guys have to understand, <laughs> we, we've been friends for a really long time. This, this is kind of like you're listening to a private conversation here. Anyway, yeah. so, no, there were three things. I want to talk about Mandelblit. So Mandelblit had remarks that were leaked that is yeah, released. Were, those are private in his office. No, they were not. That's not no. One of the reports, the report that I saw was that there was a closed briefing that he held for reporters under the auspices of Haaretz newspaper. Dorit Banish, the former chief justice of the Israeli Supreme Court, gave a speech at a conference in public yeah. that was held by Haaretz. So these are two distinct and separate Haaretz events. Okay, counselor. All right. <laughs> so now, Matt, and yes. then there was a third thing that um, that former attorney general and current uh, sitting and outgoing, I understand he's resigning, Supreme Court Justice Manny Mazuz said, did he say that also in Haaretz? I can't remember anymore. It, it was an interview that was published in the Haaretz magazine. Are we seeing a pattern here? Just to be clear, <laughs> Haaretz is the furthest to the left newspaper in Israel, which means that it's well over the cliff, right? I mean, it, 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 you know, it can't even see the cliff from where it's fallen to in terms of the, 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 the leftward uh, outermost uh, 
uh, excesses that you can possibly imagine. That's Haaretz. So all three of them were in Haaretz forms of various types. Now let's start with Avichai Mandelblitz, a closed briefing to reporters that was reported on Channel 12 News some two weeks ago. What was it that he said? Right. Uh, I'll just say, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not sure that it was, uh, it's, and I'll tell you why it's important, and then I'll tell you the content. The the, the way you I see saw See what I have to deal with here? You see what yeah, I'm... Yeah, I'm a nitpicker. What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> He's precise. Uh, He's a good lawyer. Um, the the way I saw the report was that um, uh, Mandelblit had um, a private discussion with some people in the, the Justice Ministry and the Attorney General's office, and that was um, recorded and leaked. Now, if if it wasn't to reporters, if it really was the way I saw it, you know, to, to insiders in the ministry, it's inconceivable that such a thing happened without Mandelblit orchestrating the entire thing. So I think it's fairly clear that Mandelblit orchestrated this leak. And in this leak, what he said was that he congratulated himself for uh, toppling Netanyahu. Um, because um, he said that he was uh, defending Israeli democracy, that, dem that Israeli democracy was in danger from Netanyahu. And as the remarks went on, it, he made clear what he meant by that. What he meant by that was that um, uh, Netanyahu had, as he understood it, threatened to appoint people with a different philosophy of judging and prosecuting um, than that which animates uh, Mandelblit, that is with a different ideology, right? Um, um, uh, instead of uh, being hyper-judicial activists and instead of supporting political prosecutions uh, and instead of leaning left, um, these would be people that are more um, ideologically aligned with what was then the, the governing party. And, and to Mandelblit, this is this is this would be undermining democracy because democracy to to Mandelblit doesn't mean um, the will of the people or ruling according to um, uh, majority desires uh, that letting the people rule. What it means is is making decisions that are in accordance with the ideological preference of this narrow band of left leaning. Um, hyperactivist anti-liberal lawyers, um, the lawyers that man the uh, attorney general's office and the state attorney's office and the, and the Supreme Court, um, that have that they have a, a, a set of of ideological beliefs. The pri the prime one of which is that as um, as lawyers, there's some there are philosopher kings that are the true judges of what's good and bad for you know, society. You know, years yeah. ago, year, I think it was in 2007, I, in a very strange set of circumstances, which I won't go into, I was at a very small dinner party with Aaron Barak and his wife mm -hmm. and, and a couple of other judges. And Aaron Barak was sitting there um, congratulating himself for uh, approving or ordering, mandating uh, civil unions for, for gay couples. Um, and I said to him, uh, on the basis of what did you do this? You know, what, what, where is your authority as the chief justice to, uh, to mandate, to require the Ministry of the Interior to form this concept of civil unions for homosexual couples that, that give them the privileges or the rights of, uh, of married couples? And he said, well, I'm a judge. And I said, so? I'm a voter. I said, I don't understand, why do you decide this and not the Knesset? And he looked at me like I had fallen out of the sky because in his perception of the way things are supposed to be, his position is supposed to determine the mores and the, and the law of Israel, that this is how it's going to be. And this isn't getting into any question about where I stand on anything related to civil unions. It was a question of why something that was never legislated, something that I don't know, even know if at the time it was even discussed at the Knesset is something that he should be, dis he's, he was essentially the first, he, his courtroom was the first place where this issue was ever determined, the Supreme Court. And this is a major move. This is a major change in Israeli society. And is he the right person to do it or not? 
from his perspective, there was no question that he was the person who was supposed to do it because he's, he's him. And I said, well, why are your views any more important than then Minister of the Interior uh, from Shah, Sali Shai? And he, and he looked again, like he couldn't understand where the question was coming from because, because that, that's the concept. And of course, Avichai Mandelblit, who said that he saved the Jewish people, no less. He saved the Jewish people by indicting Netanyahu is not alone in this philosophy. You know, we, we, all, of the, all of the flames and the fires are being pointed at him, but he's part of a system. And in fact, it was Barack himself who said, I think in 2015, when the investigations, as you said, which were not authorized lawfully by Mandelblit to begin with against Netanyahu began, he said that Mandelblit knows what he's supposed to do, which leads us then to what Dorit Bainish, uh, who, who succeeded Barack as the president or the chief justice of the Supreme Court, everyone to refer to them, uh, said at the Haaretz conference, right? Yeah, uh, well, she made comments um, that are more or less along the lines of Mandelblitz, which she, 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 was, she sat down and the interviewer said to her, are you, um, uh, last time you were here, you were very worried about the future of Israeli democracy. Now do you feel better about it than Netanyahu's gun? She said, certainly, yeah, I feel a lot better about it, but the danger's not completely over. Right? And now, I, I, you know, this is not, she's not the only one either. You know, many Mazos in, in his Haaretz interview this weekend said more or less the same thing, you know, that uh, um, um, uh, there's a danger of democracy being crushed in Israel by um, by uh, Netanyahu um, because Netanyahu doesn't appreciate the role of of judges, and he was explaining his role. His role was to carry out um, his ideological preferences. And th the first half of the interview is a discussion of um, uh, Mazoz's um, policy battle for years to try to prevent. Uh, the demolition of uh, houses of Palestinian terrorists. And it, it, it describes the various reasons that he wanted to find it illegal. Um, I, one of the six, I think, was the law. The others were, you know, his sense of morality and his ideological preference and, you know, his sense of whether it's good policy. And, and this seems to them, this seems to Mazos, this seems to Banish, this seems to Barak, this seems to Mandelblit, all perfectly normal that the chief policymaker in the country is a lawyer. Who is not and, elected. I mean, if a lawyer were elected, it would be okay that he was a lawyer, right? We don't have anything against lawyers. We have something against unelected lawyers. Right. Who but, are acting as though they're elected. Uh, we're replacing the elected policymakers and they think that the very definition of democracy is for elected officials to be trampled and for their policy decisions to be overridden by, um, by lawyers, by unelected lawyer bureaucrats and unelected uh, judges. And, uh, right, uh, and, and the worst part of this is that there's, there's, a, there's an inevitable result of this. When you see this sort of seizure of power by a group of unelected uh, uh, bureaucrats, over time, it can't help but lead them to use their powers politically, use their powers um, not simply to impose their policy preferences, but to fight those who are trying to grapple with them over control of policy, which means that they are fighting the elected officials. They're trying to, to uh, repress and suppress elected officials to make sure that the lawyers keep control of policy, that they're the last word. And that leads to things like criminal charges on made up crimes against uh, 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 the prime minister it, uh, and other, other uh, ministers, other political officials. Uh, you know, the, the, um, just in the last week, Mandelblit has managed to get rid of uh, two other heads of parties in, uh, in, the, the, in the Knesset. Um, it, it, it leads to um, these strange and crazy uh, 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 policy discussions. You know, the other day, there were, there were uh, reports about this long debate in a, in a Knesset uh, uh, committee about certain things that should be done or not be done on COVID policy. Now, I, um, uh, as you, uh, you know, I, I, I entirely agree with you that the, the, the 
policy of this government on COVID leaves much to be desired. Like a but policy on COVID, about, for instance, right? I mean, yeah. the main thing that it leaves to be desired is a fact is it is an actual policy, which it just lacks. It has <laughs> but, moods. It has mood swings, right? What what I'm absolutely certain about is that the last word is is that of um, the parliament, the Knesset and the government which enjoys the parliament's confidence, right? That's that's the way things work in a parliamentary democracy. But instead, the news that was reported was that Mandelblit will not permit certain measures, and he's decided that he will permit certain other measures. I now, want to back yeah. up a second from the COVID thing. I want to back up a second because you said something that we just sort of brushed over, right? So right now we have, we have Netanyahu, and he's on trial on uh, four counts and three indictments, right? And 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 the main one, the most important one, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago in, in, in Newsweek, and you and I have spoken about this probably for hundreds of hours over the past several years, um, is uh, is this bribery thing that he made up. There is no concept of, of positive coverage being bribery. And we've seen that in the in the court there's case nothing, itself. There's no there's no case like that in the history of the democratic world. Right. And so then. and we see, and and the thing that's most vile, I mean or an, an additional aspect to this indictment that's vile. It's not just that the crime itself, the alleged crime itself doesn't exist in the law books, not only of Israel, but of any country, but that there was never any bribe given. And there was never any, you know, there was never any there there that, that Netanyahu, who ostensibly received great coverage in exchange for regulatory favors, the prosecution has put its eight star witnesses on the stand uh, over the past two and a half months, and all eight have obliterated the prosecution's case. Oh, the coverage that Netanyahu received from this website was horrific, and he had no he had no role in any regulatory process. So the the the, the whole thing that not only is the charge invented, but the ostensible crime never happened on either side, either on the side of the bribee or the briber. Nobody nobody did anything that they're accused of. It's all a lie, and so. He got rid of Netanyahu. Netanyahu is no longer prime minister, largely because of the allegation that Mandelblit leveled against him and then, then submitted as an indictment to the court uh, of bribery. And there was no bribe. So that's the first guy he got rid of, Israel's very popular and very successful prime minister. But as you mentioned, this week, just in the past couple of days, we've had two of Netanyahu's uh, most loyal uh, uh, and very significant in their own right, coalition partners that Net that Mandelblit is leaving office in a, in a month and he's clearing off his desk. So he's getting rid of uh, Shas leaders, forcing Shas leader Arya Derry out of the Knesset in this very strange plea bargain over something that's not even clear. Even Mandelblit himself said no crime was committed and I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't Derry. And the head of uh, of the uh, Ashkenazic ultra-Orthodox party, United Torah Judaism, uh, uh, Litzman, um, what's his first name? Um, I'm a terrible person. Anyway, Litzman, who is in a way a revolutionary figure in Israeli politics because he's the first ultra-Orthodox Ashkenazic uh, politician, Yaakov Litzman, who served as a minister in an Israeli government until Litzman became health minister in Netanyahu's government a few years ago, the Haredim had always refused to serve as ministers because they didn't want ministerial responsibility because uh, uh, on a formal level, they don't recognize Israel um, because they're not Zionists. They're waiting for the Messiah to come before a Jewish kingdom can be rebuilt. So from a theological perspective, something changed under Litzman. So that made him a very significant leader in his own right. And he's re resigning at the end of the current Knesset, all because of, of uh, indictments or legal uh, police investigations that, that Mandelblit opened against them under uh, with great, you know, uh, him, uh, look, you know both, both, hue and cry, both. right? Both both of the cases are are are, are shocking. Uh, the um, um, the case against Litzman is more or less that he uh, adopted terrible policy decisions in two different cases. And by the way, he did right. That is, they were they were very very dumb policy decisions that he made, including one on the extradition of a uh, uh, um, a school teacher who had. Um, um, sexually harassed and sexually assaulted students in Australia. And um, Litzman 
had made the terrible decision to try to slow down the extradition process rather than speed it up. But if, if making bad policy decisions um, were a crime, then not only every single politician should be in jail for at some point or another making a bad policy decision, but everybody in the Justice Department should be, and Mandelblit should be, and you know, the state's attorneys should be. Um, almost anybody in any senior position in government has made um, a, a, a questionable policy move sometime. And if that's a crime, then they all belong in jail. But of course, it's not a crime. It's not a crime to make bad policy moves. Now, the one about, about um, uh, um, Derry is, is it's not what was the second shocking, bad what was the second what, what was the second bad decision that Leedsman made you um, I, I'm not remembering at the moment I, I'm I'm sorry um, you can that's okay you, I couldn't remember his first name anyway yeah. well, so, <laughs> but you can then, you can mock me about this afterwards all right um, um, uh, Derry the uh, um, the the charges have to do with I think a, a, a very questionable interpretation of income tax law where um, they're claiming that Derry should have claimed it as his own personal income, income that was received by his brother. Now, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if it's a plausible theory that he should have reported his income, but I am pretty sure that it's a questionable enough interpretation of the tax law that it's it's pretty crazy to to file criminal charges about it. Um, but you know uh, um, the the way the system works, it's not simply that the the Mandelblit brings politicized um, uh, charges. It's also that it's it's completely clear that what's going to happen at the end of the day. I mean, do you have any doubt of the ultimate conviction of Netanyahu on something? I don't, and it's not because he's guilty of something. I know he's not. I know that on the basis of the charges that were filed, there is no crime. I also know that uh, when, when um, various justices of the Supreme Court are saying that he has, to be, he has to be brought down in order to save Israeli democracy, there is no chance, no chance of a fair trial. Um, uh, Ruth Gavizon uh, said as much before she passed away. She was brought in to, uh, uh, for consulting purposes by Mandelblit. Um, she um, wrote this, you know, after, after being a part of an inner forum that heard uh, Mandelblit's version of this, she said that there's no chance he will get a fair trial, and she was absolutely right. Um, the late uh, Professor Ruth Gavison, who's one of uh, Israel's, for a very long time, for over a generation, was considered to be one of Israel's most important and most originally original thinkers, uh, 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 jurists. Uh, um, right, and very, very strongly and proudly self-identified with the left. Um, also widely recognized on both sides of the aisle for her personal integrity. That is, uh, she called which him. Is why, called which is why, which is why Aaron Barak said, "Over my dead body, will she be permitted to be a, a Supreme Court justice?" Right? That's correct. It's not because her politics were different. Um, she might have actually been to the left ideologically of of, um, of Barak, but where she stood on on um, the propriety of judges trying to usurp. Uh, democratic authority to take over policymaking. She she opposed that, and she said so. And that is an agenda that Barack absolutely could not have on his court, because he needed uh, an army to go take over the the citadels of power, and that's right. what he got. Anyway, Gabizon said there's no chance of a fair trial. Um, uh, Mandelblit fumed at her, but uh, of course he filed the charges, and there is no chance of a fair trial. This is. Um, um, what you're seeing going on in uh, in the courtroom in Jerusalem is a farce, and I, I can't understand how any self-respecting judge could allow this to go on without dismissing the charges. Um, and uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope my prediction of of a bad ruling is wrong, but I, I don't see any real chance of a fair outcome. You know, and some people were talking about there's a retrial going on now in a very well publicized murder trial of a young girl who was murdered in uh, from the Golan Heights who was murdered in the in a school bathroom about 10 years ago and the man who was convicted of a murder uh, for a long time there were doubts about his conviction whether he really did it and and over the years of his incarceration because he was convicted of of murdering her more and more question marks arose about whether or not it was right and he's getting and he's now uh, being retried for the crime 
Um, and somebody, uh, I probably was on Twitter, uh, but he was noting how in the retrial of this convicted murderer of this young girl, Tayurada, um, the judges are are aggressively and really in a way routinely that is in a, in a manner that is routine for judges uh, uh, asking hard questions of prosecutors in the middle of their presentation of the evidence and challenging them at every turn. And he said, and when you when you compare the way that the justices are, are aggressively challenging the prosecutors in the retrial of the uh, of the Tamir Rada uh, murder trial of, of the convicted murderer, and you compare it with the very quiescent, very quiet, very meek way that the judges are are dealing with the prosecution in in Netanyahu's trial, um, it's really striking that the that the comparison is that the contrast is very striking, because here you know you're you're seeing over and over again, like I said, right now we have Nir Chefetz, uh, uh Netanyahu's former spokesman, being a, a counter. Uh, uh, cross cross uh, cross examined by Netanyahu's uh, defense attorneys, um, and um, and he's again he's the eighth witness to give testimony to testify supposedly against Netanyahu as a prosecution witness, and he's just obliterating their cases. He did it when he was under direct questioning from the prosecutors who he was ostensibly supposed to help, and he's doing it now. And the and and the judges really aren't asking any tough questions of the prosecutors like. Why did you think that this was a good idea to put him on the stand? How is he advancing your case? Or whatever a judge might ask under the circumstances in which the prosecution's case does, is no longer existing, basically. It's been torn to shreds. They have another 300 witnesses that they intend to present against Netanyahu. And, and if this is what their star witnesses are, say, are saying, you know, it just perish at the thought of what their weaker ones are going to do, you know. But... Um, it is true. And, and you know, I want to move on to the second half of, of our conversation, which is, is about uh, international lawfare of, against Israel. But I think here, you know, what I was starting to say about 15 minutes ago is that there, there's a very large number of people in Israel who no longer have faith in the legal system. And it's been growing over a period of decades as the uh, unelected lawyers uh, arrogate more and more executive and legislative powers to themselves without ever receiving legal approval for their actions. They've harmed just about every uh, group, every Zionist group, at least in Israel, whether it's uh, Israeli residents of Judea and Samaria or or, uh, or people who live in, in working class neighborhoods in Tel Aviv that are being overrun by illegal aliens from uh, from North Africa, from from uh, from Eritrea South, and from Sudan. Not North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. So I'm sorry, Sub-Saharan Africa. I'm thinking, I guess because Egypt is right underneath Israel and then Sudan. Anyway, you're right. It's Sub-Saharan. Anyway, uh, I stand corrected. Um, but they're coming in from Sudan and Eritrea, and uh, and they're being protected by the left and by the courts, and they're being allowed to stay. Um, or if you know, and you move on to uh, the gas uh, exploration that the Supreme Court was expected to thankfully didn't destroy, um, but they get into everything and and essentially nobody has any faith either in the Supreme Court, in the prosecution, or in the Attorney General as institutions of the, the state. The polls say that uh, the number of uh, Israelis that have uh, confidence, for example, in the state prosecution is less than 10%. So the question is, I mean, talking numbers, but the problem is that when you look at what they're doing and you look at the way that they're so open about talking, I mean, what what Barack said to me in, in an in an intimate uh, dinner conversation, you know, 14 years ago, right, or seven years ago, I'm sorry, no, 14 years ago, um, is now openly being stated by the likes of Banish and Mazos. And I mean, Mazos is has been legislating first from the attorney general's office and now from the Supreme Court for 15 years. And he's introduced some policies that have, have taken major, major uh, uh, hits to Zionism, to Israel's identity as a Jewish state uh, in Supreme Court decision and in his decisions as, as the attorney general He's harmed Israel's rights to build uh, communities for Jewish people in Israel. He's harmed, uh, I don't know, I mean, just so many things. And, and, 
and there's no end in sight. It, it just seems I, like it's I, getting know. worse and worse and worse. And so I guess uh, my question uh, or my rumination uh, is, it's hard to see how any of this gets remedied. Look, I, I, I'm with Gavis on this. I don't really care whether Mazzosa's policies or Mandelblitz policies are better or worse. I just, I don't want them making them at all. I like democracy. I think that democracy is, is an asset and it's one that Israel ought to protect. And, and unfortunately, I agree with you that Israel has over the, the years, the decades of these unelected lawyers uh, taking for themselves powers, um, Israel has gradually moved away from a, a, a Western democracy to um, something that uh, um, poli sci people call tutelary democracy or guardian democracy. You know, so it's, it's, it's what it's what Plato's guardians. Be. Yeah, it's what Turkey used to be before um, before Erdogan, where there was democracy within limits, but the you know the army would come in and take over. Um, if it didn't like the way uh, things were going. And, and that's more or less what we have in Israel where you have democracy within certain limits, but uh, the, the unelected lawyers don't like the way things are going. They brush people aside. They, you know, they, they, don't, they don't engage in armed coups. They just throw people into jail um, or shove them out of office. Um, and they make sure that ultimately on the big things, uh, uh, their policies are implemented and they've won already, right? That, that is, Israel is today, um, um, they don't call it a guardian democracy. The, uh, the, 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 um, the unelected lawyers call themselves gatekeepers, right? Well, they're, no, they're, it's, 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 it's substantive democracy is what it is. Right. It's, call it. the, they're gatekeepers to the substantive democracy. They're gatekeepers to power, right? That is, they'll allow the, 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 the masses, the people, sometimes uh, to make decisions. But the person who has to decide, the gatekeeper decides whether they get in or not, you know, the uh, uh, the people at the the bouncers at the door, the selectors at the at the club's doors, um, that's the unelected lawyers. And they'll decide if you get to decide you get to go in or you don't get to go in. Um, and I, I, I think that this this hysteria from Mandelblit and, and Banish and Mazos about the alleged danger to democracy from um, from uh, Netanyahu is about this. They understand that having won this victory, having turned Israel from a Western democracy into a tutelary de democracy, um, there are a lot of unhappy people out there and there is a danger to them. I, I think it's the, the ray of light at the end of the tunnel that uh, maybe uh, the people will have their elected representatives take back power and restore Israeli democracy. And this frightens them. That's, that's the danger they see to, to their rule. And so they call this, they call this anti-democratic. What, what, they're the anti-democrats. Well, the they, are, dem they are democracy. I mean, the concept in their heads of substantive democracy, which is what they call it, is that they get to make all the decisions. So if they are democracy, then right. anybody uh, that challenges thing is 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 by definition anti-democratic. I mean, and that's that's what they've done is that they've re they've remade language, um, and and it's and it's a, it's a terrible thing. And the problem is that you know it they would it would be really useful to have um, to have government lawyers who were interested in defending the country as opposed to ruling it. Um, <laughs> because, because Israel is under assault by uh, political enemies that are posing as legal forms, right? And we had a, we had a, a sort of a new pinnacle in this lawfare war against Israel uh, this week. I think it was uh, on Thursday, it was last Thursday. Uh, it says here, I'm just looking at the news story, a majority of 125 countries in the UN General Assembly backed on Thursday an unprecedented open-ended war crimes probe against Israel. The probe was initially approved in May by the UN Human Rights Council, which by the way, just put Iran on their committee for the protection of women or something like that. Anyway, uh, the probe was initially approved in May by the UN Human Rights Council in the aftermath of the Israeli aggression on Gaza that took place in May 2021. The UN General Assembly vote came after Israel asked to amend the UN 
uh, Human Rights Council budget resolution so that the money for the probe would be excluded from the overall Human Rights Council budget. Only eight countries voted uh, against the resolution, including the US and Israel, while 34 countries abstained. So there's an open, which means forever. So it'll be going on when our children it's, are right. children and our children's children are in, are in charge. You know, it's gonna go on It's forever. an ongoing star chamber, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's got, right, it's got only one uh, 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 set of defendants. The set of defendants are uh, Israeli Jews. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll go on forever. And it has frankly nothing to do with law, which is, um, 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 why I, I don't think that the, it's it's right to say we need government lawyers who are going to defend Israel against this sort of thing, um, because it's not a legal challenge. It's no, but actually a, that would be a great thing for somebody like the Attorney General of the State of Israel to say, but he doesn't say that, right? I mean, he says, "Oh well,", well I, you know, I, I I don't I don't agree. I, I think that 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 this is the the Attorney General, by the way does issue his opinions on this. And sometimes I agree with them and sometimes I don't, but I, I can tell you it's none of his business. That is, it's not, it's not up to the attorney general to decide how to deal with uh, foreign policy threats, right? There's an elected government for that. But here, and, let me just break uh, it down for a second before, before we, we, we reach the conclusion that this isn't his business. Here they are, they're saying that there's a law and a law is about something called a war crime. And they're saying that everything that Israel does uh, is, is, is a war crime. What, you know, any, any step that Israel takes to defend itself is a war crime against Hamas, against Hezbollah, against the PLO, against whoever, against Iran. Um, and, and so they're saying this is law. We're saying that the law says that there's something called a war crime. And there's something called a Jewish war crime, right? And so war crimes are just sort of this thing that we do for, for, for hapless Africans and everything else is something that we apply to Israeli Jews. And the question is, it, it, why this isn't the law. There's no law I, here. I, what are you talking about? We're we're, what we're talking about here is international law. We're not talking about real law. International law is not like any laws that you think about or are familiar with. They're for the most part, they're not written down. They have no enforcement. They have no courts. Again, for the most part, right? For the most part, not written down, no enforcement, no courts, no final meaning about anything. It's all really ambiguous um, and really amorphous. And the reason people like to charge Israel with violating international law is because saying anything definitive about international law is like nailing jello to the wall. Right, they're, they're, you you get up to the task, and, and you're a professor of international law. That's yeah. right. Right. Yes. Uh, now, I it's not that there's zero substance, but it's pretty close to that. That is almost anything that you can say. I can say the opposite, and that's what makes it perfect for political rhetoric. Now, um, I, I I think that uh, uh, treating these charges as if they're legal charges and treating the inquiries as if they are legal inquiries is, is making a mistake. It's not, it, 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 it's giving credit to something that doesn't deserve credit. And I'll add something else. You know, the international law is constantly in flux. And one of the reasons is that international law is the things that states agree to do. And st states are constantly changing what they agree to do. There's this, the, the, the important part of international law, it's called customary law. And it's the things that states do out of the belief that the law requires it. So um, if Israel wants to change the law, one of the most important things it should do is act differently and say things that are different, right? Now- um, What does that I, mean? I what do you mean? What, what do you mean? Let, let's let's take a, 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 um, something like reprisals, armed reprisals. Um, are armed reprisals lawful under the laws of war? So um, traditionally they were, and then a lot of people started saying that they weren't, but Britain still says that they are, and the United States still, still says that they are. And the way international law works is that 
If you have somebody who objects to a custom over time, then they're not bound by that custom. And so Israel's best strategy on all of these things is to just say, no, I, we, don't, no we don't accept that. We don't accept that's part of the law, right? Um, why should Israel do that? That's Israel's way of refusing to cooperate with this process of making up new anti-Israel law. And so instead of uh, uh, going and making legal arguments, what Israel should be doing is just saying no. But, you know, the worst um, thing, the worst it, thing it, about it, and one of the things that goes back to Mandelblit, and you're saying, well, you don't care what he says or doesn't say because it's none of his business. No, I, I care. I, I want him to say nothing. I want the person to say but no. Let, let me just go back for a second, because he wasn't always the attorney general. He wasn't always the attorney general. Before he was the attorney general, he was a cabinet secretary. Before he was a cabinet secretary, he was the military advocate general of the IDF. And from that position, he, he introduced this concept of international law and proportional use of force down to the battalion level where he was bringing in legal advisors to tell battalion commanders what, what they could shoot at and what they couldn't shoot at and what was legal and what wasn't legal under a very radical interpretation of the limitations on the use of force in what you say, you know, international law is, which is trying to uh, uh, nail down a piece of jello. Right. So, so let's, let's see, there, there, are like, there are three things that are wrong with this. Right? Okay. So one of them is that he's usurping authority that doesn't belong to him, right? That instead of, instead of Israel's elected officials deciding what uh, policy should be for the army, um, um, you have this unelected bureaucrat making the policies in the name of the law. That's problem number one, okay? Problem number two, you're saying, is it's bad policy, and I agree. Um, the interpretation that was being used of the, these broad concepts of, of uh, a distinction and proportionality, I think that the, the way they were interpreted was bad policy. It's bad for Israel. It's bad for everyone. I, I just don't think that the, the way it was interpreted made any sense. Uh, but there's a third problem. And the third problem is unique to international law. And it is um, when Mandelblit does something like that, or whoever the uh, the uh, adv the uh, judge advocate general is in the army, when they, when they do that, something like that, when they when they say to uh, junior troops, don't do this because that's what international law says. They are speaking in the name of Israel, and they are telling the the world that Israel agrees to this interpretation. And by doing so, they're undermining Israel's ability to shape the the future of international law in a better direction, right? Um, and, and so even if they're, you know, it's bad enough that they're making bad policy, it's bad enough that they're making any policy, but um, don't do it in the name of international law. Don't claim to represent Israel in, in making international law positions. Though you're, you're making bad positions, you're harming Israel, and uh, uh, it could be done a lot more strategically, primarily by refusing ever to acknowledge these broad interpretations of international yeah, law. And, and, I mean, I, I would add a fourth. I would add a fourth one, which is the human cost of these things, right? Because when you're telling the the army that it has to engage in in often uh, deadly restraint toward deadly towards its own troops, deadly towards Israeli civilians, because you don't want to be accused of carrying out a war crime by the International Criminal Court, which again is a political body, right? Then then, then you're you're harming your own side physically. I mean, you, you're, you're forcing bad command decisions to be made at a level where lawyers should never have any say to begin with. So I, I well, mean- I, I, it's, Look, it's, it's, not, it's not simply that, they, that it's making bad, it's bad policy, right? All the way down to bad uh, defense policy. It's also, it's pointless. I mean, anybody who thinks that if Israel adopts a stricter interpretation of, of the law than, than everyone else, that somehow or another, um, these star chambers will stop, that this lawfare will stop, that there won't be these commissions of inquiry to, to bring up charges against Israeli Jews forever, is simply delusional. If, fails to understand the dynamics, the political dynamics of what is going on. In and all I these think things. in a way that that is the key, right? That's the key, that it's all it's it's all based on I on uh, misinterpretation, whether deliberate or naive of what's actually going on here. Right. It's yes. it's it's yes. it's it's, uh, it's, it's uh, misinterpreting it's the law, it's, the institutions. It's 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 believing that there's some 
basic uh, moral uh, foundation to these to these institutions that they're trying to do the right thing that it, you know they might just be misunder misinformed that if you just play ball with them then they'll understand and um, you know we've had many soldiers killed in battle and killed in terrorist attacks because of of the way that because of this desire to to make nice with these with these star chambers and so i think you know when, it, it's really quite extraordinary the way that israel is being poorly represented on all of these fronts by its lawyers and specifically well, when, when by mandelblit says, if we want to if we want to blame one person you know well it, it, it's it, you know on 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 many of these issues it's not just mandelblit it's it's um, um, uh, other lawyers, some of whom are candidates to replace Mandelbaum. Right, like so, Sharon Effect, you know, an outgoing, uh, the, or recently. Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Louis Shandolf, but um, He's the head of the International Law Department of the Justice Ministry, is that right? Or? Yeah, um, and uh, um, is, is one of the candidates, one of the leading candidates uh, uh, to, to take the job. But um, the when, I lost my train of thought. No, you were saying that Mandelblit isn't the only person who's doing this. That they're no, 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 they're making before, that I, they're, before I said that, I, I had some uh, brilliant well, the, well they're, they're require that they're requiring that they're requiring Israeli forces to take these defensive uh, postures, you know, and not go out to the enemy and attack recall, them because uh, no, less, less the ICC, less the ICC. What I was going to say. Um, and it's this, you know, if somebody if somebody makes the accusation that um, um, the leaders of the Jewish state and the soldiers of the Jewish state are evil because they love killing children, um, anybody who thinks that the way to defeat that sort of argument is to show, look how careful we are about children, is somebody who doesn't understand what's going on. Right. It's some, the kind of person who thinks that when they had these medieval trials about Jews drinking Christian blood, uh, the boy, you know, the, the blood of Christian uh, children for Passover, that the right thing to do would be to argue that um, uh, uh, Christian blood is not kosher. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with um, what standards you're operating under. It's the, the very accusation itself is an expression of bigotry. And one doesn't one doesn't respond to bigotry by trying to convince the bigot rationally to think otherwise. Right. One gets one one blunts the power of bigotry. That's how that's how one defeats it. And so by by making rational arguments to these star chambers, to these you know the, these uh, free floating inquiries into the evil of the Jews. Um, by making rational arguments to them, you're you're strengthening them. You're 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 failing to to point out or failing to address them as the biggest they are, and and instead you're treating this as this this is perfectly normal uh, law. You know this this is this is regular the regular wheels of justice turning. It, they're not, and you can't treat it that way. You know. And so, yeah. But so 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 you're dealing. You know, we. Ha it's like I I just finished reading an extraordinary book which came out a year ago. Uh, everybody everybody loves dead Jews. I think is what it's called by uh, an author named uh, Dara Horn, who's absolutely fabulous. I have to say, but she talks about how uh, she got roped into uh, listening to um, a podcast of the Merchant of Venice with her ten year old son, and. Um, and and uh, the whole idea that people are these apologists for Shakespeare and trying to come up with its crazy notion that that Shylock, who is a, a, a repulsive uh, caricature, uh, distorted image of a Jew uh, that was put out in, in a context of vicious anti-Semitism in Elizabethan uh, England, um, and she gives a whole context of all the events that occurred around the time that he wrote The Merchant of Venice. 
uh, the idea that because he says, you know, uh, if I bleed, you know, if, if you draw blood, I will not bleed or whatever, you know, the, the, the thing is, aren't I human being? You break me, shall I? Yeah, shall right, I right, believe. all that. So, you know, that, that the idea that that shows that, you know, Shakespeare really meant to humanize the, the Jew um, is, is appalling because he was the villain. He was the cartoon character villain in, in Batman, you know, and and the idea that saying, "Oh, but you know, uh, you're supposed to, you're supposed to have empathy for me," is is absurd. I mean, it was a completely anti-Semitic play, and Shakespeare wrote it apparently because he was an anti-Semite, as were just about everybody. You know, as was just about everybody I, in me, England at that point. Say... But let me just say: so the question is, when you're dealing with these star chambers, you're dealing with this bigotry against Israel, the Jewish state. Uh, People said, well, what are we supposed to do? So you said it's not lawyers. So who is it? Is it is it the foreign ministry that's supposed to deal with it? I mean, our foreign minister, our foreign minister, God bless him, you know, thinks that anti-Semitism is indistinguishable from all forms of racism and there's nothing special about any of them. And and our foreign ministry uh diplomats, you know, they they uh they they aren't they aren't the uh, most okay. I, I have an I mean, answer what, for you. What are you saying? What are we, what is Israel? What who would who have, would be the ones to respond to this from the Israeli uh, government? I, I have an answer. I have an answer for you. But uh, um, uh, first, I just want to say something about the 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 the, the Shakespeare uh, uh, comment. I, I I think that it's in general um, less important whether the particular person is a bigot than to understand that the actions are an expression of bigotry. You know, maybe maybe Shakespeare's a really nice guy and didn't believe in the anti-Semitism, or maybe he did, but without any doubt, um, Shylock is an expression of the anti-Semitism of that society coming through Shakespeare's writing. Right. Now, the the best you can say for Shakespeare is that maybe he personally, and this is what I, I, I gather she's arguing against, but the best thing you can say for him is that he personally was in a small way trying to disagree with the, the overwhelming anti-Semitism of his society. And and the worst you could say of is, no, he was actually in tune with that society. But either way, you get to the same point, which is the the it's an expression of that bigotry. Now, I think that's important to remember when we look at these star chambers and the rest. I mean, there will be people among them who may be in their own small way, not bigots. They're not biased against Jews. They're just giving expression to it. You know, it's the it's the atmosphere around them, the United Nations, and they just carry it on like automatons, right? They're, they're just carrying it through. And they they just as much as everyone else are carrying out a bigoted policy, whatever they may personally think. Now, the question of what can we do about it? The, the, the question of what we can do about it ultimately is a, 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 a unified political strategy, right? Now, it's not that lawyers have no place in such a unified political strategy. If you're carrying out a unified political strategy, then part of it will be selective use of legal means to carry out your policy aims. That's what lawfare is. And if they're waging lawfare against you, then you have to wage lawfare against them too. But that also means that you don't you don't go, walk into the battlefields that they select and use right. the tools that they select and allow them to shoot at you. Right. Um, if you want to block an inquiry like this, then you 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 go around it. You file legal actions against funding it, for example, right in in uh, friendlier states, right or or political actions against them. And all of it has to be organized um, on the background of uh, a political strategy. And a political strategy doesn't simply involve legal measures, and not, not primarily legal measures. It's 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 um, it's statecraft, and right. statecraft involves diplomacy, and it involves lawfare, and involves elbows, right? That is, you know, there's a little bit of power politics and pushing back um, that's a, that that you have to understand here. Now, this, you know, the the United Nations is is an institution with some power, but it's not limited unlimited power. It has all sorts of weaknesses, and it is the enemy here. It is the one that is carrying out this bigoted war against the Jewish people and against the Jewish state. And you need an overall strategy where the lawyers will do what they're told by their commanders, who are the elected leadership of the country. You know, I think we can, we're going to, we're going to have to close soon, but I, 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 I think I would be remiss 
on a, a week like this to close when we're talking about this this uh, open open star chamber that will be going on in perpetuity against the Jews, without mentioning that one of the I would say the authors, but one of the one of the people who really played a huge role in mainstreaming contemporary Jew hatred that's uh, that uh, vilifies Israel and everything that it does in its own defense, and Jews who support Israel, uh, died um, yesterday, uh, and that is Bishop uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And uh, I got very irate when I saw on Twitter that uh, Senator Schumer uh, was. He he tweeted a New York Times obituary of uh, Desmond Tutu and and talked about what a great champion of human rights he was, without mentioning that he's an anti-Semite, and and it sort of reminded. Well, he was a great champion of non-Jewish human rights. Right, but it sort of reminded me of Henry Ford. You know that Henry Ford was an incredible. I mean, he changed the world. You know, his automation changed the world. The Model T changed the world, and he also. Uh, he was an, he was like a Nazi. I mean, he 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 was one of the most prolific anti and powerful anti-Semites in American history, and he he caused massive damage to the Jewish people in the United States and and really all around the world because he was one of the people who was blocking Jewish immigration into the United States in the 1920s as well. So, you know, it it's hard. Um, as a practical matter to look at Henry Ford when you're a Jew and just feel warm and fuzzy about what he did for for uh, assembly lines, you know, for, for the productive capacity of, of the world, really, because he was such an enemy of the Jewish people. And in a way, when I was trying to, I was thinking that, you know, I'd like to write a, an article for Newsweek about, or, or Israeli, I'm not sure about, about Desmond Tutu. And it's really annoying, right? Because you have these people who are ostensibly great men. And Desmond Tutu was a fantastic champion of the anti-apartheid movement. But, you know, last December, he wrote an article in the, in the Guardian. He's already 89 years old. He's dying, right, of prostate surgery. He writes an article in the, in the Guardian, which, among, which calls for then-president-elect Joe Biden to... Uh, to to expose Israel's mil, uh, nuclear to end U.S. pretense over U.S. Of, over Israel's secret nuclear weapons, he said that Israel uh, that for Israel to have a nuclear a nuclear arsenal was a danger to the entire world because they're an apartheid regime, and um, and he and he said uh, and and he said that Israel was responsible for the Iraq war. Uh, and 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 several other blood libels against Israel, and you know this is just a year before he died, and he was constantly was one of the originators of the boycott movement against Israel and calling Israel an apartheid state, which is a, a form of political warfare against the Jews, and you know I, I just uh, just sort of uh, looking at at uh, the way that he's being lionized in his death by all the media, even here in Israel, because of what he did for for the fight against apartheid and, and um, I, you know, I, I have a lot of Protestant friends, uh, many of whom admire Martin Luther. And Martin Luther uh, did a lot of things that were uh, very important to, for Christianity um, that, that changed modern Christianity. And I can understand why someone who is uh, a Protestant, particularly from one of the churches that were influenced by Martin Luther, would not see Luther primarily as what he was, which was a vicious, horrible anti-Semite. Um, that said, I, I, I don't understand how you can talk about Luther without describing uh, or at least acknowledging this great moral flaw of his, which was that he was a bigot, that he was an anti-Semite, that he wrote some in, encouraged some terrible things, which arguably led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands or millions of Jews. Um, now, I, I can understand if you, uh, if you uh, um, believe that uh, Desmond Tutu was extremely instrumental in the fall of apartheid in South Africa, that that is your main focus and that you laud Tutu for his role in bringing down apartheid. But I can't understand how you can be silent about this other 
blindingly obvious moral flaw of his, which was that he was a vicious anti-Semite, that he hated Jews, and that he devoted a, an enormous amount of his time to promoting that bigotry and trying to do ill to the world's Jews. I, I just don't understand how you can be silent about that. Well, I mean, I, I think that's one of the problems with Jew hatred that we're seeing today, and we're seeing it in lawfare at the UN and at so many other international forums today, and we're seeing it in, in the progressive left in the United States, and I dare say even in Israel, where, you know, there are only certain types of anti-Semites that you're supposed to be able to see, and there, and there are others that you make excuses for, and so, you know, you could, you could write you could write full volumes about white supremacy and anti-Semitism from Charlottesville to uh, the Tree of Life Synagogue to San Diego, but uh, all of the reportage on the uh, black uh, anti-Semites who massacred Jews in Jersey City and in Muncie um, just you know a year and a half ago or two years ago in in uh, December 2019, uh, the reporting starts with the excuses and blaming the victims for it in a way that no other victim group would ever be blamed for their own massacre by the American media. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of that going around. And Desmond Tutu uh, using, exploiting his record as an anti-apartheid champion of the anti-apartheid movement to advance the cause of, of, and the popularization and the mainstreaming of Jew hatred in the world um, I think as somebody who, who, um, who I, who I don't mourn. Simple as that. Don't mourn him. Don't mourn him. You know. And on that happy right. note, I'm not wearing red, but if I were, that would be that. But uh, um, I'm wearing I'm wearing burgundy. But um, anyway, all right. Well, guys, I wanted to I I I wanted you to 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 hear. Uh, what Professor Avi Bell, doctor, hair doctor, professor, doctor, Avi Bell, my very good friend, uh, thinks because I think I think his is one of the most uh, important legal minds in Israel, and I dare say uh, in the Jewish world today, uh, both on uh, issues of uh, Israeli law and law in Israel and lawfare inside of Israel by Israel's legal fraternity and, and also the international uh, legal or use of the language of law to try to demonize and delegitimize the Jewish state. So Avi, thank you very much uh, for joining me and my viewers and listeners today. And you can come back anytime uh, that I have time. Thank you me. very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was a great pleasure. All right. Thanks. Well, and we'll, and we will definitely have Avi back uh, as a, uh, as uh, as his time allows, and and uh, as the issues uh, uh, relate to all the very important things that he does for 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 Israel and for humanity as a whole. All right, take care, guys. <laughs> we will see you next week for another edition of the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. And uh, remember to subscribe and share and spread the word uh, that uh, that everybody should be watching the Carolyn Glick Middle East News Hour. <laughs> take care. Have a great week. Thank you.